is a place where they'll pay you a thousand dollars for a kiss and fifty cents for your soul. Welcome to Holly Weird, a podcast about celebrity deaths and strange events in Tinseltown and beyond. We are your hosts, Megan Carpenter and Liz Shire. You are listening to part two of our Aaron Carter saga. If you haven't listened to part one, go back and listen to part one wherever you get your podcasts. On with the show. So... Before kind of restarting his music career in the 2017 era, which we'll talk about, um, Aaron was still working. He was on Dancing with the Stars in 2009. He started on Broadway, which Susical, I completely forgot about. He was also in a production of the world's longest-running musical, The Fantastics, which I had never heard of, in 2011. And he appeared on uh, Rachel vs. Guy Celebrity Cook-Off on the Food Network in 2012. He did fairly well on Dancing with the Stars. I think he finished around fifth place, but he was the first one eliminated from the cook-off show. Mm. So we found something that he wasn't good at. <laughs> Food. Food. Okay. But dancing. Add that to his list of talent. Which, do you think, not to make too much a sidebar, you know, when it's like, you're already a professional dancer. Like. Okay. Let's take <laughs> a sidebar right here. So I still watch Dancing with the Stars. Okay. It has moved to Disney Plus. It's not on ABC anymore. Oh, that's right. I have a huge bone to pick with this show because, like, I'm sorry, Uh-oh. but like, so this season Charlie D'Amelio is on it, mm-hmm. and she, um, not to pick on Charlie D'Amelio, she's one of a couple people who I think this falls to, but like, they have dance experience, right? That's why she got famous. <laughs> yeah and i know like Being a dancer i know tiktok dances are not ballroom dances and that's going to be the person's argument but you have like she has taken dance class from childhood through now right same with some of the other people who are still in the competition and like like that gives you a leg up right like you you are a star but the reason why you're a star is because you're a dancer <laughs> Right, I just it just doesn't feel like a fair playing field, but maybe that's where you're at when you're on season 30 of Dancing with the Stars. Like, you've actually used everyone. Sarah Palin already competed. <laughs> Didn't Rudy Giuliani compete? Sean Spicer. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, like, I mean, who would you rather see, Charlie D'Amelio or Sean Spicer? Right, but it's like, um, these judges are saying things to Charlie D'Amelio like, wow, you really are just as good as the professionals. It's like, no She's shit. a professional. <laughs> No shit. <laughs> wow, I can't believe you've hung in there with Dancing with the Stars. I know. It's a good show to, like, put on in the background when you're, like, cooking or cleaning or doing something like that. I totally... I mean, that's Housewives for me. I just pick the next franchise, like... <laughs> yes. And watching it over again. And also, it does not hurt when some of those male dancers are in no shirts during their dance. Exactly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Gotta get it somewhere. <laughs> um, so, Aaron's music career as an adult. Um, it's a far cry from the Aaron's party days. Uh, his most popular adult music release, um, that I really like is Fool's Gold. Insert a clip here. Oh, 
but most of his music kind of like in his resurgence follows whatever trend of like the period that he released it i mean like and partially that's pop but it's a lot of like you know remember like 2015 to 2017 was like you know everything had a trap sound to it like everything yes. had like kind of a moody yeah trap sound like that's what like, a lot of his new album, stuff sounds you're like kind of looking like diplo this album yes yeah yes but i do think and i'm not familiar with any of aaron's adult music mm-hmm but I do think that that kind of represents his talent as a musician in that he was able to pick up on current popular sound mm-hmm. and apply it to his own discography. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, like, in writing and composing, like, I mean, I've seen the Instagram lives. Like, he's boop, boop, boopin' mm-hmm. on his computer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yeah. like, he's doing it. Mm-hmm. So I think... Um, you know, like, later Aaron um, would get a lot of shit because he was, and I just mean, like, kind of dismissed when I say get a lot of shit, um, because of personal struggles, but, like, that doesn't mean he wasn't making competent music. And I'm also saying this as a person who'd never listened to it, so if it isn't competent music, (laughs) don't come for me. (laughs) No, so you'd actually be surprised. He put out an album um, in 2018. That was his last official album. He put in an EP in 2017. But it is good. I mean, it's well-produced. He sounds good. Like, it's it's decent pop music. And I think that's exactly kind of the words I've been searching for. Like, he was dismissed in his adult life because of all of the drama and trouble and you know his behavior but he was a talented musician this kid had been doing this since like he was born like he was a professional he was nine years old but i think um and not to speak for him but i feel like he um associated being dismissed with his adult music career because he was a child star like Mm. everyone is like oh that's how i beat Shaq." you know what i mean but I yeah. think that's the case. I feel like he was more dismissed because of personal issues yes. than because he made music as a child. Right. And yes, his his kind of choices and how he exposed himself to the world. Yes. Yes. No, I totally agree with that. Because you can look at, not to get too much off track, but, you know, I think about Jojo, who came into, the, on the scene probably jo- Jo- Joanna Levesque Jojo? Yes. Okay. Go Jojo. <laughs> Not Bo Jojo. Go Jojo. When she was 12 or 13 and had a major career setback when she was locked in her um, like legal battle with her record company, but now has gone on to make great music as an adult. Um, and I think she has shed the child star part of herself. Like, yes, there's still people who like remember her hits yeah. from when she was in eighth grade, but... I don't think that narrative is kind of like, I think, can be used as a disadvantage on both sides. And maybe he hung on to that as opposed to addressing the actual things that were going on for him. Yeah, she's actually a great example because she made music as a young, like she was like 12 when Leave Get Out came out. Yep. And um, did not make music for a long period of time because of her record deal struggles, but... um, I feel like her adult music is valued. Mm-hmm. Yes. I I love her new stuff. Yes. So, Aaron's personal issues could be the main contributor as to why his adult music is not valued, at least, like, not commercially. Yes. I totally Or agree. critically, even. Like, I don't... It's, it's not spectacular, but it's not terrible. Like, so, funnily enough, um, we have some friends of the pod who 
went to our hometown in 2017 uh, to see him live at, I believe it was Freeverb. Are you kidding me? No. I didn't know this. Oh, yeah. There's a picture on Instagram of them with him. <laughs> I can ask for permission to, like, share it. Um, but they said he was good. He was entertaining. Yeah. Like, he seemed a little bit, maybe not sure. sober, but, like, he was, he performed well. Um, which, speaking of not being sober, the troubles. The troubles. So, kind of go through a timeline of when issues started happening for Aaron. So, the first time he was arrested was in texas in 2008 he was pulled over for speeding um police found less than two ounces of marijuana in his car i don't know about in texas and pennsylvania i don't think it's a felony uh that was kind of taken care of this was also during the period where he wasn't really you know exposed in the public and wasn't really releasing things so who kind of really knows what was going on but 2017 he was arrested again um for dui marijuana charges and that was kind of when i believe that's when the face tattoo started um, and I believe that's when he started to be more active on Instagram. And uh, look, as far as his public perception, the social media stuff did not help at all. Um, and we'll get into that. So I think that <clears throat> I would consider that 2008 arrest more of a blip. Yeah. And then I would say the 2017 arrest was more um, on like the a trend yes. of issues and even like mental health issues yes it was around this same time too that he was on that tv show the doctors oh so these are tough yeah so this was when i think people really started to get concerned and then his public perception was really changing so the doctors is i don't have great opinions about this but if you like it fine um so he had several appearances one two three Looks like three or four appearances because they had multiple parts on it. But the first one, uh, world exclusive, Aaron Carter Health Crisis Parts 1 and 2, was in September 2017. So this is when his public behavior becomes more strange, more erratic, lots of bursting into tears in interviews, lots of, like, not really making sense. Aaron does this thing, because I've watched many interviews at this point, uh, someone asks him a question and instead of answering it, he comes back with, like, a kind of like roundabout example like he's in an interview it's an entertainment tonight interview and they're talking about his supposed drug use and the interviewer's like so you've never done crack and he's like look at my teeth <laughs> like opening his gums like look at my teeth and the interviewer's like uh-huh oh look at this meth head oh meth kills crack kills look at my teeth Right? Yeah. Look at my teeth. Yeah. Look at my face. I'm not a meth head. I've never touched it in my life. I feel like there's so many people out there that don't think, oh, celebrities are insecure. Are you insecure? I get Voluma fillers, okay, to fill up my face. Because you've lost so much weight that it, it, it sunk in. No, it's just how I'm built. This is how I look. Is there anything else that you do? Yes. I, I, I get Voluma. I get Juvederm and then um, Restylane. He's like, never. Never in my life. Cause I, and like what he's not explaining is like people who like do crack and meth like usually like lose their teeth from sure. like doing drugs and like look at my beautiful white teeth. Yeah. Also that means nothing because you can get veneers if you mess up your teeth. Right. But like he does this, it's very dramatic the way that he like 
is probably during this yeah. time. Part the part that struck me, and I watched um, part of this doctor's episode. Uh, the host, who is that generic-looking white guy doctor? Yeah, yes. Um, I, I was going to say Dr. Oz, but it's not Dr. Oz. No, 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 no. Um, <laughs> it's someone we'll see running for Senate in, like, 20 years, though. <laughs> oh, um, uh, he introduces Aaron Carter, and right away, Aaron Carter sticks his hand out to shake this guy's hand. Like, he, like, comes off as, like, genuine. Mm. And the crowd goes wild. Mm. Like, they're, like, screaming. Like, like, um, <laughs> like adult women in a sound studio <laughs> are screaming for Aaron Carter. And he's like, hi, guys. Like, he's, it's so, it's awkward <laughs> to the point where it, like, borders on endearing and uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, I feel like that, like, uh. That dichotomy is, like, a good way to, like, describe Aaron. Like, sometimes it could be endearing and sometimes it could be uncomfortable. That's probably very, very accurate, Megan. That's yeah. A, that's a great way to describe him. Like, from being a little kid, everyone's little kid brother, super cute. His, I think, remain genuine throughout his, you know, public life. But then, like, the uncomfortableness of just family drama, drug use, social uh-huh. me- crazy social media stuff. Um... That's a pretty good way to put it. Okay, so on this doctor's appearance, uh, he was noticeably gaunt. And I think that that, that appearance was something that um, was associated with Aaron for, like, an extended period yeah. of time. So, like, Aaron looked to me like a very small person, mm-hmm. but he wasn't. Like, I think he was at least six feet tall, mm-hmm. but he was still... He weighed 115 pounds on this episode mm-hmm. of The Doctors. Mm-hmm. So, six foot, 115 pounds. My dream. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> but not um, healthy for an adult male. No. And I think also, like, um, also, like, Nick Carter must be a giant because he always towered over Aaron. But mm-hmm. if Aaron was six feet tall, to the Google. Yeah. Let's see. How tall... How tall is Aaron Carter? No. Oh, damn it. <laughs> Wait, this will be good. Let's see what... I think it's six feet, but let's see what Google says. Yeah, six feet, zero inches. Really? Yeah. So Nick Carter must be really How tall. How tall is Nick Carter? When my dad talks to Siri, he's like, uh, Siri, how tall is, uh, Nick Carter? So then it's like, it like transcribes <laughs> into Google with like all these ums and uhs and... See, this says he's six... Zero also. This says Nick Carter six zero according well, to Google. But keep in mind, Aaron we witnessed Aaron growing up, whereas Nick was kinda already in his late teens true. by the time he got famous. So a lot of those pictures must be when Aaron's younger. Oh, that's true. And I guess um boys typically have a growth spurt even later. Yes. Like even in like early twenties. Yeah. Okay, yeah. okay. Um, but still He was I, he was very gaunt. Yes. And I I always like um like an adjective that I feel like describes his look is scrawny mm-hmm. but like I don't think that that was necessarily the case like he might have just looked like sickly well I mean he he was really unhealthy um I think the 2017 I think the 2017 appearance is the one where he's trying to explain his appearance he's he's crying and he apologizes for how he looks yeah just like sad 
and then he says he has an eating disorder which is like oh okay but then he says later that he has a hiatal hernia which is a gastrointestinal condition where the stomach um like pushes up against the diaphragm so it, it decreases the size of your stomach you can't digest as much food and it causes um like gastrointestinal pain and like uh heartburn so it wasn't it wasn't really an eating disorder per se it was definitely like issues with so like eating. a gi ailment yes but like not like anorexia or sure. you know anything like that so this is i also think kind of the beginning of like aaron being an unreliable narrator on yes. top of his like very dramatic delivery and like it's sad to watch these interviews like he he cries in a lot of interviews like yeah frequently so like the the part that struck me is in this interview and in the surrounding time to your point about him being an unreliable narrator you're getting a lot of these are my mental health ailments these are my physical health ailments and then what does um what do addiction issues play into that Mm. and it just is like um this is gonna sound so crude and i don't mean it like i'm gonna say it but it's like can you just pick something that's wrong with you and like (laughs) let's go with that it's like um it feels like oh my goodness like there's so much going on here. Right. Um, so he says on the show that he's concerned about sexually transmitted diseases, um, but they did a test, and the only thing that that showed was candida, which is yeast infection. Right. Which I'm like, okay, welcome to every lady's world here, <laughs> welcome, to, like, welcome to Aaron's party. Being in a bathing okay. suit for too long. <laughs> <laughs> um, welcome to Aaron's party. <laughs> Oh, sorry for laughing. Um, but he also indicates that he has bipolar disorder. So this is a different doctor's appearance. In 2019, he talks about his mental health issues specifically, and he discloses that he has both schizophrenia and bipolar disorder. Can you lay down for us um, a Venn diagram of those two? Um, well, unfortunately, it is possible for someone to have both, sadly. Um, but bipolar disorder is, uh, categorized in periods of depression and mania, um, that they can be long periods of time, and the the periods between those cycles get shorter and shorter. Schizophrenia, uh, definitely, they both really affect your functioning. Actually, bipolar disorder is much more serious than I think people really realize. Like, it can... Some people who have bipolar disorder really can't lead a normal life. Schizophrenia is um, similar but different. You can There can be psychotic features to bipolar disorder, but schizophrenia usually has hallucinations and or delusions. Um, it can affect your sleep, affects your functioning, and it's definitely uh, probably more a little bit more severe than bipolar disorder. So you can have both, but they're definitely different. Okay. So... The 2017 doctor's appearance. Apologies, I'm like cross pollinating his doctors. Well, they're also like all kind of like about the same thing, and they're like very, they're all equally dramatic. And they're close. It's 2017 and 2019, so they're close in time. Um, he tested negative in 2017 on that appearance for illegal drugs, but tested positive for a mixture of benzodiazepines with opiates, but um, he claimed that it was prescription medication that he took for both anxiety and sleep. So, yeah, um, that makes sense. Yes, could be totally legitimate there. But uh, also around this time, he did go to a rehabilitation program, a drug rehab um, at a treatment center in Malibu. 
And in February of 2018, he reported improvement with his weight that he went from 115 pounds to 160 pounds. Good for him. But if he was claiming that it was like his hernia causing that weight loss, and then he goes to rehab and gains 45 pounds. Right. Um. Right. And here's the thing, too. Like, he might not be... He may be an unreliable narrator, and that's what he really thinks is going on, but the truth is, like, you know, doing drugs and illegal substances can, like, really affect your body, and it can cause other health issues. Like, things that you don't think are really connected, but they are. Um, So... That's the thing is like really who knows. And I think these I think these doctors' appearances might have been an attempt to like legitimize what he was talking about, like and to kind of take the narrative away from like I'm a drug addict with tattoos on my face to like well I have illnesses. Which to be fair, like substance abuse disorder is a sure illness. Yes. You know, it's a mental illness, but I wonder if it was some kind of like damage control in a way. Yeah. I see your point. Well, he had several trips to rehab. So this LA Times article in 2022, um, right before he died, September, was talking, he claims he went five times. There was a time when he went uh, to Betty Ford in January of 2011. Um, there was a time that you talked about after the doctor's appearance where he went to Malibu. And by the way, is it is the doctor's kind of like Dr. Phil, where at the end there's like, you're going to appear on the show and kind of humiliate yourself, but then we're going to pay for you to go to treatment. Is it one of those? You ask me like I watch the doctors. <laughs> I couldn't. To be honest, I couldn't even stomach these episodes. They're so uncomfortable. Okay, if you have heard it from us that we're like, man, they just don't have quality TV like being Bobby Brown anymore, and then we're like, the doctors is not good television for anyone. Yeah, maybe from those reliable source. <laughs> we're not reliable narrators either. No, sadly. <laughs> um, I think we're more reliable though. Uh. Then he also, so this is kind of leading up to what happened recently. He reportedly went in September 2022. Um, both he and his on-again, off-again fiance, Melanie Martin, lost custody of their baby, Prince, um, because they were both having domestic violence and drug-related concerns. So that was what motivated him. He voluntarily went to rehab in September of this year. Um he said five times that's the only three i could really find but there's a chance that he went more and it just wasn't out there so there's a suggestion that um drug addiction has been a struggle for him for at least a decade Mm -hmm. of his life yeah because his first arrest in 2008 even though it was a blip it was still related to drug use so i was just gonna say should we talk about how the public's heightened awareness of his struggles came when he became an addict of other sorts, a social media addict. Abs- yes, absolutely. Um, raise your hand if you have ever gotten a little bit of a jump in your stomach when you see that Aaron Carter is now going live. <laughs> yes. It's- the Instagram banner on my phone, Johnny Ortega is now live. Johnny Ortega. And then what was his last handle was something uh. like... I don't know. Let me see if it's still up. Bobby. Well, well, Megan's looking. Um, If you're not aware, which you might not be, Aaron Carter had just, he he must have been addicted to Instagram. Just, I'm first, oh my God, should I even explain going live? I mean, you just press the live button, you go live. It's a live feed from your account. He did that constantly for any reason. I remember I've seen lives where he's talking to the police outside of a motel. 
I've seen lives where he's like yelling at people. I've seen lives where he's like definitely under the influence of something, like seeming out of it. Um, he would do it all the time, kind of like for any reason. Sometimes it was to do live music, which was cool. Yes. Now, uh, his current Instagram handle is ACBizLLC. Okay, that makes a little more sense um, than Johnny Ortega. Yeah. Do you think that he um, was such a fan of the Instagram Live because he was overexposed his entire life and he didn't know any different? Mm. That's a good, it's an interesting take um, or reason. Like, if I was having a conversation with police outside of a hotel or a motel, I might try and avoid anyone ever finding out about that. Right. But he's like, let's bring everyone in to this. <laughs> that, so that, cause just because he was so used to being in the spotlight, he, like, yeah. wanted that to keep going. Almost like, um, like attention-seeking. Yeah. Uh, but I, attention-seeking, yes, but, like, not even that. I just feel like he was used to everyone knowing all his shit. Yeah. I, that's definitely accurate. I wonder if also, because I think a lot of celebrities see social media this way, it's a way for them to control the narrative or at least feel like they're in control of what the public's seeing. Sure. Um, but he let everyone see everything. Everything. Yeah, I remember seeing him piss in a cup on Instagram oh, Live. How did he not get reported? I don't know. Well, so recently... Um, and this was for one of the welfare checks that the police did. Um, viewers reported on live hearing noises like compressed air being released and Aaron being extremely out of it, implying that he was getting high while on Instagram live. So we didn't know that huffing was a problem for him. I don't think it, well, that's kind of come to light. I would say post 2019 pandemic era. Um, Instagram Aaron. Yes, definitely Instagram Aaron, but more specifically pandemic Instagram yeah. Aaron. Um, um, you watched the show Intervention, right? Oh, of course I have. And Intervention has made a resurgence on both Hulu and Netflix. Mm-hmm. Um, but there is an episode of <laughs> Intervention. You know where I'm going with this. Yep. You can only find it on the Intervention website. It's not on any of the streaming platforms, but it is a girl who is addicted to huffing. And Allison. it is Allison. <laughs> Liz is intimately familiar with Allison. Yeah. Um, uh, it's it's one of the the most disturbing intervention episodes I think. That's Absolutely. Out there. Yeah. The huffing ones are the worst. Well, this is the one where you guys might know where she just screams, "I'm walking on sunshine," and she like <laughs> she appears very out of it. I guess is this a good time to talk about huffing and yeah how uh, that. Works. works yes love it tell us so <clears throat> this all this information is coming from the national institute of health specifically their substance abuse uh website so huffing refers to uh inhaling what's called inhalants uh so there are various substances that people only take by inhaling so they can be solvents which is like paint thinner and glue like literally huffing glue uh aerosols like duster well computer duster and they call it duster so that's on the two crazy intervention episodes with people who were addicted to huffing they're usually huffing duster um gases like nitrous oxide aka whippets uh or nitrates like a leather cleaner um that one's a little less common so they contain dangerous substances that have psychoactive or mind-altering properties when inhaled um 
it can cause delusions and hallucinations, which I think might be contributing to a lot of what Aaron was putting on social media. He, we can, we're going to talk about it, but he made some kind of really, uh, wild claims about members of his family, about what was going on, about, like, things that were happening in his life that didn't really seem to make sense. Uh, but it does make sense if you think that if he was huffing, he was having delusions or hallucinations. Uh, so you can also have slurred, distorted speech, lack of communication. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Definitely no, lack of... You just described, like, every male, though. Lack of communication. <laughs> Burn. Um, <laughs> lack of coordination. And probably the uh, one of the biggest symptoms of huffing is when people have, like, jerky limb movements. Like, they're... They kind of seem oh. like they're... Yes, that's like a... staccato movements? Yeah, or like they kind of seem like they're flailing. That's a oh. symptom of someone who's on inhalants. Interesting. I um, was scrolling through, Liz and I share a word doc, and I must have missed when I looked at this and worked on this earlier. Uh, she calls out Allison from Intervention by name, and I just brought that up like oh. recollection from my brain. Like we, <laughs> sometimes we are so on point with each other. I know. That's why we have a podcast. Uh, and I will say, to talk about this intervention episodes, not to derail too much, but uh, I use this was before I got the training that I have and became a therapist. I was so into intervention. I watched so many episodes of that show because it, from a psychological standpoint, if you're interested in that kind of thing, it's a great example of addiction and how, you know, addiction happens and how it can destroy your life and, like, the behaviors even that people are having. But at the same time, now that I do what I do, that show is incredibly exploitative. And even from a consent standpoint, I'm like, how can those people, like, they're an active addiction? Like, unless somebody, like, had power of attorney, how were they able to consent to be on camera? And then would the show really film an entire episode of someone only for them to, like, if they were doing it when they're sober, like, say, no, I don't want that footage to be shown? Like, that would be a total waste of time and money. So I don't know how that show actually was on the air. Yeah, that's a really good point. And I feel like it is... It inspires great sympathy and, like, empathy for... Because, like, there's never someone on there who is like, I'm addicted to heroin and I never had life trauma. Like, they always have right. trauma that Absolutely. Um, ultimately, like, inspires their addiction or leads them down that path. But, um, yeah, I feel like uh, the good does not outweigh the bad. Like, that show, while I love it, right. it's so much of an exploitation yeah and i i don't watch it anymore because i do just have a hard time from looking at it from a different totally different lens but i i used to love it like i used to like it was so interesting but the other part of it is like you know active addiction is like one of the most vulnerable points in someone's life especially for the person that we're talking about allison like she was like she was in medical school wasn't she and like she has like pretty smart and then her behavior which again it's like they're not in the right mind like they're highland you know inhalants so let me ask you this though um you just described how uh these inhalants can cause things like hallucinations and stuff like that now if aaron um claimed to have schizophrenia which can also do that who knows if he was on medication for mental illnesses like what what type of interaction would we be looking at if he was um, doing an illicit drug that could enhance features of a mental illness? I mean, definitely the behavior that he was displaying. And that also could be, I mean, we don't really know. I don't think he ever got an official schizophrenia diagnosis from being on the doctors. That was just something that he claimed. Yeah, he brought that to the table. But I mean, 
that could be if he was having hallucinations and or delusions being high on duster could also have been an explanation but yeah i'm not it can definitely interact with medications and make it worse like some example um if you have a polar disorder kind of have to be careful with psychoactive drugs period even like weed because it can put you more at risk for a manic episode and then if you're taking medication it can like I think sometimes like not super knowledgeable of this but like negate the effects of it or intensify it kind of things like if you're not supposed to drink if you're taking benzodiazepines because they do the same thing and makes you much more at risk for like blacking out or possibly having an overdose so I mean who knows what it could have been interacting with but that definitely could have been a possibility yeah yeah it just makes you wonder like if anything he experienced was heightened because of several issues that were going on yes um but to the point that we talked about with intervention being our example of people who are in these traumatic crises coming from trauma that they've experienced in their life i would say that's certainly applicable here definitely should we talk about lou Lou perlman oh my gosh okay we shall so lou perlman was the manager of the backstreet boys as well as nsync um, he was a record producer slash boy band developer who was a criminal, um, who was convicted of having Ponzi schemes and money laundering. Um, there, so there's a documentary, um, called The Boy Band Con, available on YouTube, produced by Lance Bass and his mother. Um, and you can tell because Lance has the best lighting of any interview in the documentary <laughs> and his very sweet um, Southern mom. So The Boy Band Con it's all about Lou Perlman and talks about the Backstreet Boys, but also all of his Ponzi schemes and original and kind of how he ended up going to jail. So Lou Perlman was a business guy. He used to run out his private jet um, to celebrities, and that's how he made connections with NSYNC and the Backstreet Boys. Um, he kind of like inserted himself into their business opportunities to like become their manager. Uh, it was later kind of found out that he was uh, renting on his. Uh, private plane he had like a he was obsession with blimps and like he created this uh fake company transatlantic air um that was people were investing in and he was that's how ponzi scheme works he was using the money from the fake investment to fund the backstreet boys and nsync so he ended up being a con man he manipulated both bands out of millions of dollars of their own money um via predatory contracts and good old lies and deception uh so it, it's kind of like if you want to watch the documentary it's actually really good and explains it but he made himself a one-sixth member of both of the bands so he was collecting income like he was a member of the band and during not you know, not the 10 percent manager no <laughs> and during that period he was like he was kind of the person who he kind of puffed himself up and wanted him to seem more important than he was constantly taking them out to dinners he had really big mansions in florida and then it kind of came out he was the band members thought like oh this was all taken care of by lou and it was free but in reality it was their income that he was using to fund his whole lifestyle and also these are kids yes so they're they're not going to be suspicious of any of this they had no idea how that stuff worked um so ashley parker angel ooh, of is he from lfo no he's from o-town o-town um 
calls him crooked. Uh, fun fact, this is a total sidebar. Uh, during my first job as a graphic designer, I worked for some sociopaths who were married to each other. They both had PhDs in gaslighting. But in addition to that, one of them designed a website for Ashley Parker Angel that even when I worked for them, it was like a super like tacky, outdated flash site. Um, and my boyfriend at the time like just called that job like Ashley Parker Angel because he like also liked O-Town and just could not get over that he made that website. Oh my god, you're looking it up? Yes, yeah, it, it, it can't be up anymore. Or if he has one, he definitely got it redone. Because this was like 2013, and that website was from like 2003. I hope it's not the same. Let's see. Does he still have a website? I don't know. What's I he really see, doing? Like, I see Facebook. I see Instagram. I see Twitter. TikTok. He must just use his social media now instead of go daddying his way through life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i don't see anything well i mean all those things are free yeah why, why pay for uh, maybe not twitter anymore but um so all of the and there's many different bands that are interviewed in this documentary aj's in it from backstreet boys lance bass is in it chris kirkpatrick's in it um ashley parker angel members of lfo uh also some other bands um it's actually outrageous when you think of um, the bands, uh, the quantity of bands that he had a hand in. Yes. Um, it's everyone. It really, it really is. It's like, it's like some monopoly kind of. Shit. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so all of the boys and men now, um, boy band members in the documentary describe him as like extremely charming, made you feel like the only person in the room, um, apparently he used to like if you came into his office he would be like uh not now not now Giuliani like I gotta go and like would kind of pretend like he was on the phone with someone super important so that like made you feel like you were so important that he hung up the phone on like Rudy Giuliani I'm just using an example but like (laughs) he would do that kind of stuff but it's actually kind of classic antisocial personality psychopathic behavior it's called glib superficial charm so in this documentary they have like this also, he looked like the ogre who lived under the bridge. He really did. And not to, you know, make fun of someone's appearance, but this person did a lot of really bad things. And he also, he just kind of like overweight, like puffy face, like looked very out of place with all of these super attractive, like boy bands that he traveled with. Right. I guess, um, yeah, I'm not just straight attacking his looks. I think the point that I'm trying to make is, like, the charm must have been off the scales because um, there was yes. nothing physically attractive about him t- to, like, make that a comforting presence yes. on, like, physicality no, I, alone. I should have trusted you more, Megan. I didn't even just try to like, attack. <laughs> but, like, no, that's actually a really good point. He kind of had to make up for yeah. what wasn't there. So, in the documentary, they call it, they're talking about, like, this the other Lou Pearlman issue, which they pretty much call out as grooming. So there was lots of rumors, even like founded reports of Lou being inappropriate with these kind of like young, you know, teenage young men that he was managing. So there's a quote from Lance Bass. Um, I don't know too much about what Lou's private life and what he was into. As a closeted person, I always just thought he was gay, and that was the reason why he would act so weird sometimes. He would give you a massage, so he was very touchy-feely. He was just a very touchy guy. I always felt a little, okay, I think I know what you're doing. It's like Dan Schneider vibes. Yes. I think probably a little more obvious um, and kind of less it was kind of like some of them were like oh lou i think dan schneider was like ooh, 
<laughs> like much more of a red flag because I think how young the kids were, and then I think it was possibly boys and girls. Okay. Um, but rumors about Lou for many years uh, were out there that he was attracted towards younger men, specifically boys. Uh, Ashley Parker Angel basically describes this like Harvey Weinstein type incident that he like escaped Lou, like that Lou kind of like lured him up to his hotel room under the premise of like talking about his career and uh, like exactly like Harvey Weinstein and he was definitely implying that like if Ashley Parker Angel engaged in some kind of sexual you know favor with him that he could get him further places in his career and he said that like the phone rang and he like ran out of the room um APA, as I put him, also tells a story about how the lead singer of LFO, Rich Cronin, who sadly died in 2010 of, uh, yeah, cancer yeah. complications, um, told this story. He said, I feel like I can tell it because Rich told it on Howard Stern. So they play this audio of Rich on Howard Stern saying that Lou Perlman was kind of trying to coerce him and the other members of LFO to touch his penis in this, like, very elaborate, like, oh, you're going to go talk to this producer and, like, he's going to want you to do this so you should practice on me. Like, and they're just, they're, you know, really uncomfortable. And it seems like he actually did it more to the less successful bands and kind of the less, I don't know, like, because, the, yeah, like, they're easier to take advantage right. of. Um, so, th- I mean, these are, like, extreme grooming to abuse scenarios. Yes. So there's other ones. There's, uh, so the documentary goes into it, but there, I found a Vanity Fair article that goes even more into it. It's super long from 2007. So this was like during his trial before he went to jail. When did he pass? Do you know? Uh, the documentary is 2019. He went to jail in 2008. I remember in the, in the Backstreet Boys documentary, they were talking about how he was dead and that was 2015. So sometime between 2008 and 20, like 14 that he died. I mean, he was not a healthy man. No, no, no. Uh, 2016. That's when he died? Yeah. Oh. But he had been in jail, so what was he going to do about a Backstreet Boys documentary from jail? Yes, so he died in prison. So this Vanity Fair article is called Mad About the Boys by Brian Burrow. So in this article, both A.J. McLean and Nick Carter's mothers are quoted talking about Lou's inappropriate behavior and relationships with the young members of his bands. So this is A.J.'s mom. As a mother, you kind of put two and two together. Remembers Denise McLean, A.J. McLean's mother. Yet there was always a fine line where you sat back and went, okay, is this guy who always wanted to be a father or an uncle, is this all innocent, or is it more? I kind of thought that there might have been some strange things going on, but I just didn't know. So during like 1997, 1998, um, it seems to be like when this stuff all started. And one incident centered around Nick Carter. So in 1997, he was 17. So even for people like AJ's mom or other members, they still don't really know what happened. But uh, Denise McLean says, my son did say something about the fact that Nick had been uncomfortable staying at Perlman's house. Uh, For a while, Nick loved going over to Lou's house, and all of a sudden, it appeared that there was a flip at some point. Then we heard from the Carter camp that there was some kind of inappropriate behavior. It was just odd. I can just say that there were odd events that took place. Um, So, to this day, as the article says, uh, the question of Perlman's behavior remains a sensitive topic among former members of his boy bands. For every young man or parent who says that he experienced something inappropriate, there are two who won't discuss it and three more who deny hearing anything but rumors. So, I mean, and then also uh, the article, which I didn't include it because it's just kind of like 
unclear. Nick's mom was quoted as saying, like, I don't know what happened, but there was, like, something happened. He didn't want to go back there. And to this, he, she said, it almost tore apart our family, and I don't want to keep bringing it up or talking about it with him because clearly something bad happened. Oh, my gosh. I have so many questions. Yeah. So... Isn't it uh, isn't it unique in this case to think that there are so many boy bands out there who are trauma bonded in more ways than one? <sighs> yes, and I actually think like you know, so to reference Harvey Weinstein, we usually hear about this with you know, men men in power, producers, you know, directors, whatever, and you know, female talent. But this is you know a male producer doing this to men, and a lot of times men don't feel like they can come forward with this stuff or they can talk about this stuff because it's not quote-unquote supposed to happen right to men or boys my next thought and again this is all alleged but i think there's the suggestion that something may have happened between lou and nick or lou and aaron then but like do you think that as a groomer you pick on someone who comes from the broken framework absolutely like and we know that there was not a stable family structure there i mean Aaron's mother was literally siphoning money off the kid. Right. Like, what's she going to do? She's going to remove him from a dangerous situation? Right. And that's a classic, unfortunately, classic groomer technique is picking kids who there's not an adult around and they're maybe actively looking for some kind of like parental figure, um, parents who aren't going to ask questions. That's, you know, he took advantage of, you know, people like, so AJ's mom was like, I always knew there was something. And like, AJ was also older, but maybe for Jane Carter, that wasn't the case. So to talk about Aaron and Lou, Aaron is the only person to defend Lou in this documentary. Um, This is definitely like a post 2017 Aaron, you know, tattoos on his face, like looking kind of gaunt. So Aaron's thoughts on Lou, Lou was like, there's talent in Aaron. And then I sold 5 million records before I turned 10 years old with my first album, with Lou. Again, not very many quotes because he storms off after, like, at a point in this interview, so I don't think they probably got a lot from him. My opinion of Lou being a sexual predator is that it's not true. That is so foul. He would come up to you and teach you how to do push-ups. He taught me how to do diamond push-ups so that I could build up my chest. And he's a pedophile? Shut up about that, guys. And he, like, looks to the camera when he says it. Um... He's so he's like vehemently denying the rumors and defending him. Um, and then when they're asking about Lou Perlman's death, he gets teary and emotional and he says, It hurts to see people continuously attack him because I grow through the same thing, going through it right now. He was a gummy bear. And then he like gets too emotional. He like does the very dramatic, like take it off his mic and he's like, I need a break, I need a break. Like, and then he like kind of storms off. So Knowing everything that we know, and look, I know when you technically, in the eyes of the law, if you don't have evidence to convict somebody, you can't really say something happened. But also, from what I know, I work with kids in trauma. It's too many reports of this. Yeah, where it's, there's smoke, there's fire. Absolutely, when it comes to, uh, you know, adults who abuse kids, pedophiles. And and if we're getting sync and Backstreet Boys agreeing about something. <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. So the whole Aaron interview kind of reeked of, like, the lady doth protest too much. Like, why is he defending this person so much? I do think that clearly, and again, this was, like, part of Lou Perlman's charm, was making people feel special. You know, Aaron was already kind of in the shadow of his very successful older brother and being taken on by the same mentor probably meant a lot to him. But at the same time, all the trauma he already experienced kind of coming from a broken home having the same uh, his brother have an issue with him i really 
you know, you have to connect the dots and be like, did something happen to Aaron that Lou was a part of? So what is the difference in that you have a great, um, what is the difference other than age in that you have um, a seemingly well-adjusted Lance Bass, um, uh, seemingly, although questionable, internet aesthetic, Ashley Parker Angel, (laughs) Um, you know, they've come to terms and are able to, like, succinctly talk about this, and then Aaron freaks out and rushes off. Like, what, um, what does that say about the different areas of their lives that they're in right now hmm that's a really good question i mean it definitely seemed like uh so lance produced the documentary so he could control the narrative and probably had a lot of time to think about it so had some of the older um band members but it seemed like they had kind of more processed it and made sense of it whereas maybe they've had some therapy right whereas aaron whatever was going on he was still like very much in it to be unbroken but without you all I'm going to be is incomplete so in 2019 relating this back to like some continued drama amongst the family uh, both Angel who was Aaron's twin and Brother Nick filed separate restraining orders against Aaron. Uh, so, in response to Aaron threatening to kill Nick's then pregnant wife, and this was uh, via a tweet that he made the threat. Yeah. Um, uh, I think it's a tragedy when, like, family drama gets to the point of legality, but um, it just, like, damn, this guy was not in a good spot. And Absolutely not, no. Due to, I think, as we've established, a combination of factors, mm-hmm. I don't think they actually resolved anything based on, like, recent reports of yeah. who was talking to who before Aaron's death, but I don't, mm-hmm. I don't think it ever got better, which is sad. And it, it, it you is. know, I mean, you have to, in some respect, um, Nick had to preserve himself, his wife, and his family, mm-hmm. but uh, there's also probably, like, what regret is he going to live with for the rest of his life? Because he didn't make amends with his brother before his brother's passing. So yeah. it's just unfortunate. It is really sad. I think that's probably the um, saddest things about this for me is that I think I was texting you this. I remember my sister because Megan did text me the news that Aaron died. Um, I feel so sad he didn't get the chance to fix it. That he didn't get the chance to turn his life around. Because I really think that that was definitely possible for him well i asked you so you're the only other person <laughs> besides myself <laughs> like when i go to aaron's instagram profile it's like also followed by liz like it's just <laughs> you and me baby <laughs> and i was like am i ashamed like are, are we voyeuristic or are we just like fanatical about pop culture or option c like i think there's a little bit of option c in there that like we genuinely had the hope that like one of those Instagram lives was going to be, like, him cleaned up playing with his kid. Yeah. You know? I, know I, de- I definitely had that hope. And yeah. that he was going to, like, turn it around because he was continuing, like, he was uh, recording something up until he died. He was working on something, like, an album for, like, eight months, his manager said. Do you think 
do you, and I guess like he had just been to rehab mm-hmm. about a month before his passing, so I assume there was a desire to try and turn it around. Mm-hmm. So Aaron leaves behind a son, Prince, mm-hmm. who is not quite one. Mm-hmm. Um, we made that parallel to um, his sister Leslie's death, mm-hmm. leaving behind a child. That's probably the most tragic part about this whole thing, leaving behind an innocent child, mm-hmm. um, who unfortunately is uh, going through turmoil, um, not of the, not even one-year-old child's choosing, but um, uh, his mother, Melanie Martin, also does not have custody. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe the child is with... Her mom. Yeah, her, yeah. her parents. So... Um, you know, who knows what Aaron has left behind. We know since his passing, he did not have a will. Um, I know his house is up for sale because I looked at it on Zillow. Oh, but he posted about it. He posted about his house? Yeah, he tweeted about it and he was like, property sale has been really good to me lately, so we're putting up the house. Oh. And that was before he died. Yeah. Oh, I looked at it on Zillow. It's a fine house. It, I don't know what his financial situation looks like today to know, like, did Will he have enough for his son to make mm-hmm. it to adulthood? I don't know. I would hope that between the families, they would be able to produce for the child. Mm-hmm. But I think that's just the saddest part um, because that child is going to live with the trauma of having lost a parent he never really knew. Mm-hmm. So um, that's sad. Really sad. The whole thing is sad. And I, it's, that's probably the, the saddest part is the unfinished business, all the stuff that was left behind. And I don't think this was his intention. And I, you know, we're, I think we always continually saw someone who was trying. Like, in whatever way he was, he was trying. By putting himself out there, by, you know, causing drama, by going live, by like... Being an entrepreneur. I mean, we saw lots of different right. attempts. Uh, we saw OnlyFans. We saw... Right. Um... He was supposed to be in that show, is it Naked Boys Singing? Do you remember that? No, but, oh, God. Uh, something, uh, a title close to that, if not that. But he got dropped from the show because he wouldn't get a COVID vaccine. Oh. Yeah, that sounds about right. Let me go huff some duster, but I'm not going to get that COVID vaccine. <laughs> that sounds about right. All right. Uh, but, um, oh, my God, it has a microchip in it. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, so... Uh, that's a joke by the way that's a joke. <laughs> uh, some people could benefit from the microchipping is all i'm gonna say i guess my point is like non-traditional venues but he was still trying mm-hmm. like it's not like he was sinking into oblivion mm-hmm. so um yeah at the end of the day who's responsible for what happened to aaron um i think as we've talked about in many episodes of the show addiction is really complicated um there's no doubt i think there's a choice element of addiction but there's many many layers to it and why it occurs and his childhood trauma and then the whatever happened with lou perlman you know definitely led to what was going on for him as an adult and then ultimately like you know his family was not it was unstable at best and his parents i don't really think were there for him in the way that parents should be agree i think tragedies like this are probably a perfect storm right Mm -hmm. so um a series of letdowns including by including a letdown by yourself Mm -hmm. so yeah um i think and 
no one could save him in the end, and that's sad. It's really sad. Yeah. So, the legacy of Aaron. So, we... This is actually, I think, going to be an interesting one moving forward because at certain points, I feel like he was looked at with the gaze that we gave Brittany during mm-hmm. a breakdown. Mm-hmm. He, his Instagram lives were looked at with a with an LOL gaze, mm-hmm. you know? Um, but as we've said on this podcast, if an Amanda Bynes were to happen today, if a Brittany were to happen today, mm-hmm. they would not be treated like they were treated by the media. Mm-hmm. So do we think Aaron was treated like that by the media and he was because he was a male? Or do we think he was not given that treatment by the media and was therefore overlooked mm. and slipped into this? That's a great question. What do you what do you think? I think I think he was overlooked. Mm-hmm. I think um because I think the spectacle was there if you wanted to see it. Mm. And I think that in the changed cultural state of trying to give respect to a person's individual situation, we don't apply attention to it. Mm-hmm. And I think that the lack of attention allowed this to like manifest and to ultimately a demise. Mm-hmm. I think that's a great point. I also wonder if to his kind of making himself overexposed ended up it was kind of like a boy who cried wolf like there was always something there was always drama there was always some kind of you know headline about him and did that kind of flooding of the narrative make people forget or really get desensitized to how bad it was uh yeah probably desensitized desensitized we were probably really desensitized. <laughs> you had it. You had ah. it. You had it. Well, like, it makes me think, too. Like, we've talked about... I'm going to go here. Brittany. Mm-hmm. So, Brittany... No, that's, that's absolutely a part of this conversation, is Brittany. Um, Brittany airs a lot of her dirty laundry, uh, particularly with her family, mm-hmm. on social media, and... Uh, I feel like culture today has to tread very lightly about our response to that. Like, it is her right to free speech. It is her social media. She's an adult woman who chooses what she gets to put out there. Mm -hmm. But then it's also, am I allowed to say that, like, I don't think she should be posting some of that stuff? Like, or am I on the attack? Like, am I in the wrong for having that opinion? And I think the same applies, like, you could apply to Aaron then, like, there were people who intentionally did not join those Instagram lives mm-hmm. because, like, they just didn't want to see that. Mm-hmm. And then look what happened. Like, at what point is it your obligation to intervene out of concern or... Mm-hmm. And not, like, the public, per se, but I would say, like, the media and his family, potentially. Right. And it's funny you mentioned Brittany because, number one, it's relevant. Number two, uh, he claimed at some point in some article that his family was trying to put him in a conservatorship. And I think it goes back to really addiction and what role choice has in someone's life and and honestly I think we can all relate to this even outside of addiction like someone in your life who they're an adult and they're making decisions that you can only see leading to bad stuff and yet that's the choice that they're making 
And I think that was a lot of Aaron, of, like, even his fans who were like, oh, why are you, like, doing OnlyFans? Or, like, why are you, like, you know, posting all this stuff about your baby mom and, like, trashing her on Instagram? Like, why are you going in this direction with his life? And that's the really tough part is, I mean, look, I struggle with this my job all the time. Like, you can see a much better path for someone and they're actively not taking it. And what do you do about that? The only people that we can control, the only person we can control is ourselves. So I think that that's a really good point is like watching, watching him make these choices and decisions and seeing a better way and him not taking it. Oh, so hopefully, um, all we can do is wish the best for his son at this point mm-hmm. and, um, that his family is able to find closure, uh, with how everything panned out. But, uh, if you've made it this far, thanks for hanging in with us. Yes. Thank you so much. Um, Meg, thanks to you. Time to shout out some sources who aided in the research of this episode. Several articles from TMZ, who broke the news of Aaron's death, were referenced in this episode. Several articles from Page Six, which aided in reporting on the events before and after Aaron's death, were referenced in this episode. Entertainment Online, as well as Yahoo Entertainment, were referenced. The Vanity Fair article, Mad About the Boys, by Brian Burroughs, as well as the New Zealand Herald article, Rivers of Vodka and Rape, The Dark History of the Backstreet Boys, by Phoebe Looms, were referenced. Information from National Institutes of Health to provide accurate information about substance abuse were also used. I want to shout out another podcast and creator that does a great job supporting the community. I'm a horror movie fan, and I've been a faithful listener of the Fright Day podcast since its inception in 2016. Fright Day is a weekly podcast with diversified content about all things horror. Hosts Byron and Kelly, and sometimes Sam, provide thoughtful reviews of interesting and new horror, as well as teaching their audience about cryptids and conspiracies. Byron was even kind enough to listen to an episode of this podcast, I know, right, to provide Meg and I with feedback to make the show better. If you're into the dark and weird side of Hollyweird, I think you'll really enjoy the Fright Day podcast. Check them out wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you or someone you know is struggling with addiction, please call the National Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration Helpline 1-800-662-HELP. Want to let us know what you think about Aaron Carter, 2000s pop culture, this podcast, or let us know which celebrity death you can't get over? Email your feedback to hollyweirdpodcast at gmail.com. And be sure to follow us on Instagram at hollyweirdpodcast to get clues about future episodes and photos that go along with the stories. Thank you for listening to this episode of Hollyweird. You can follow us on Facebook and Twitter. And please, Join us next time when we discuss a legendary singer whose untimely death may bring you to tears. Don't worry, they'll dry on their own.